As the world has reacted in horror to the scenes of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, global attention has been captured by the steely resolve of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. He has positioned himself as a rallying force amid a deadly crisis, in contrast to the authoritarian Vladimir Putin. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post reporter Joseph Breen joins me to discuss Ukraine's unlikely hero, the stark differences between Zelensky and Putin, and how his command of image and messaging is helping him win support worldwide. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Joe, the world has watched kind of with horror over the last several days as Russian forces invaded Ukraine and have shelled civilian populations. They're fighting near a nuclear plant. It's really been a horrific spectacle. But one thing that's given people pause or given them some sense of resolve in the whole thing is the resolve shown by Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky. And I'm just wondering, how would you describe the image that he is portraying on the world stage in light of this invasion? It's a remarkably brave projection, I think, of courage literally under fire. I don't think he was a terribly familiar political leader to the North American average news consumer. The last time he was in headlines was as the target of Donald Trump's efforts to gin up an investigation into Joe Biden in Ukraine, which led to his first impeachment. Mm -hmm. And that left an image of a relatively weak leader being told what to do by a superpower. And that was kind of the impression, I think, that people had of him going into this. People were looking at Vladimir Putin massing a huge invasion force on his borders. And it looked like nothing else but a sure thing that Russia would simply walk over this country, mm -hmm. kill or depose or otherwise remove its president and be in control. But as soon as the invasion began, people then turned to the new young leader of the Ukrainians. And what they saw was a face of resistance, a person who was proving through social media that he was present in his nation's capital, that he was alive. And that at home, I think, roused uh, strong patriotic feelings and was no doubt part of the broad national resistance that the Russians encountered. Perhaps even more importantly, on the global stage, I think he changed the calculations simply by standing up and being unmoved and refusing an American evacuation order. Uh, things that seemed certain two weeks ago, such as the capitulation of Ukraine to Russian demands, don't seem certain. Now you've got a unified Western response and strong action taken against Putin. If anything, it's going much worse for Russia than expected. And I think a lot of that, not all of it, of course, but much of that can be credited to the performance of Zelensky. You raise an interesting point here is that like a lot of people didn't know much about Zelensky before this invasion, and even the idea that he has helped strengthen the resolve of Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. And it kind of is another step in a career where he's subverted expectations. I find it interesting, and it may be glib considering the crisis that Ukraine is under, but we're talking about a person who, before he was elected president, was 
perhaps best known as a comedian and a voiceover artist in such movies as the Ukrainian dubbed version of the Paddington movie. Like, what about his past is most surprising to you when you were looking into this figure who has caught global attention? What stuck out to you? Well, it's true. The Paddington entry on his actor's CV is a remarkable standout. Paddington was inspired by children fleeing London in the Blitz and keeping their cool in remarkably stressful times. And he voiced that. He had to project that same sense of steadfast resolve. But you're right to say that he was mostly a comic. He was not the sort of figure who tends to rise to power in Eastern Europe. He came from a Jewish family in a city that was neither of the Ukrainian-speaking west of Ukraine nor in the more Russian-speaking east. He was sort of in the middle. His parents were academics. His father was a professor, and he studied law but became an actor Mm -hmm. and did all kinds of things. There's video of him in a dance competition in which he's clearly a highly trained ballroom dancer um, showing off on TV. and he became most famous in the three years leading up to his election as the star of a show in which he plays a high school teacher whose rant against corruption is secretly recorded and goes viral online, leading to him becoming this sort of unexpected president. He gets elected Hmm. and that show continued for three years. So it was almost like, you know, people started to see Kevin Spacey as the U.S. president when they were watching House of Cards. Likewise, Jed Bartlett on the West Wing. People were already watching a show in which he was the president. He fit in the role. And so when he ran for president in 2019 with a party named for the TV show Servant of the People, it just kind of fit. And the incumbent was running on a sort of a strongly nationalist, traditionalist platform. And Zelensky came on with a promise to target corruption and also to negotiate with Russia, who had already invaded Crimea and parts of the east of the country. It didn't seem a particularly strong position to negotiate from, but people warmed to him. Like I say, they recognized him as the president. And he won a landslide. And it wasn't long after that that the pandemic hit Mm -hmm. and he had been involved with Trump. And like I say, his moment did not arrive until recently when I think those acting skills became an important part. I call his, in a piece I did on, on in a profile, I call his charisma a weapon of war. I think you were right to highlight the chance that talking about his actor passes kind of minimizes what he's doing now. It's a, it, it could be a glib perspective to take, but I think when we contrast it with the uh, highly curated image that Vladimir Putin projects and to see who's winning the image war, I think it's clearly points so far to Zelensky. You mentioned in your piece the likes of Ronald Reagan and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I mean, especially Reagan, despite what a lot of people may feel about his politics, he very much was a president who understood the importance of message and image. And I think about the famous speech and the famous line, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. 
there are those moments where having that sense of understanding of image and the power of message can play a huge part. And especially when you're dealing with a conflict where you're seeing all sorts of social media images out there. And a lot of this is coming to us, you know, around the world through our phones, through apps like TikTok and Twitter and Instagram. And it helps to have a leader who's able to command that presence. And I think about the speeches that Zelensky's given that have been shown to us on social media and the idea that even when he was asked by the Americans if he wants to evacuate or the suggestion he could evacuate and his response, which is now I've seen emblazoned on t-shirts, I need weapons, not a ride, kind of speak to that. And how important is that in a conflict that's being played out and, and sympathy is won through social media? It's interesting that you mentioned the Reagan line. That line lives long after Reagan is dead. Likewise, I think the way that Zelensky refused the American offer of a ride will likewise be part of how history understands this war, regardless of how it turns out. This is a brave stand. It takes a certain kind of character to be able to project that kind of defiance, for Reagan to speak directly on the world stage to Gorbachev in that manner, speaking to a nuclear power. And I contrast it or compare it, I think, to a press conference Zelensky gave last week, where likewise, he's kind of invited to reflect on Vladimir Putin. And he talks about those silly images that have come out over the last while of Putin at the end of this ridiculously long table, Mm -hmm. partly for image purposes, partly for his own COVID safety. God knows, but he looked like an out-of-touch tyrant Bond villain at the end of a table, as if he has a button for people to have the floor open underneath them. (laughs) And I think Zelensky is no doubt aware of that image and that he is projecting an alternative one. And it does take, amid all the military strategy and whatnot that he has to deal with. It takes a certain steeliness, and perhaps it takes an actor to be able to do what he did, which is to offer to speak with the leader of this invading army and make a joke about how it doesn't have to be at a big long table and they can sit close by and speak about peace. And he says, to end this little comment, he says, I don't bite. Now imagine talking to a man who's got a nuclear arsenal and is currently laying waste to your country. And to make a joke that conveys your own power mm-hmm. and your own eye toward peace, it's a very powerful message. And it's a very powerful image that has had concrete effects, I think, on the geopolitics of this conflict. We'll be right back. This is a tricky conflict for Zelensky and for Ukraine. I mean, he's had to unify people who would normally be opposed to him. Obviously, an invasion can unify a country. You know, war can unify a country, but he has to get his opponents on side with him. And he also has to contend with the fact that There are civilians who aren't in the Ukrainian defense forces who may well have wanted to leave the country. And he's had to turn around and say to able-bodied men who potentially have been trying to leave, no, you need to turn around and come fight. And does the image that he's been able to portray 
give him leverage to rally those people who may be opposed to him or may not necessarily want to take up arms? I mean, I think it would have to. I think it would be impossible to rally your nation to resistance against invaders from a government in exile. And perhaps not impossible, but at least very hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've reflected on this myself about that order that Ukrainian men of fighting age are not able to join their families in fleeing the invasion. And there are people who, you know, rise to the fight and who willingly take it on. But likewise, I'm sure there are many who would prefer to leave. And their leader is both offering them a model of bravery by staying, but also preventing them from leaving. It's tough. It's one of those contradictions that comes up in performance. I think it should prompt reflection on whether we do have a good line on Zelensky's character based on a week's experience. It is certainly true that in these hectic early days, some of the complexity gets flattened out and it can be hard to know what is actually happening. And it can be hard to know what is scripted and what is spontaneous. Mm -hmm. Both sides are fighting a war knowing that there's a very important audience on the internet. And we know from recent history that the internet audience can be manipulated. Indeed, it manipulates itself. And that's something we have to be aware of both when tyrants arise and also when heroes arrive. It's one of those things that's been interesting to watch from afar, because on top of this lopsided conflict where you have this global superpower invading a much smaller nation, you have these two leaders who appear miles apart from each other in terms of you know stature and image and public perception. You have you know, Vladimir Putin is seen as, if you were to imagine a movie supervillain, you could easily put Vladimir Putin in there, a scowling, secretive, former KGB agent. He fits that role. And so you have this easy contrast between him and Ukrainian President Zelensky. And then on top of that, you have this bizarre messaging coming out of the Kremlin about the motivation for war, this whole idea that he wants to denazify Ukraine. But you have this, as you mentioned earlier, this Jewish president who's descended from Holocaust survivors, you know, does that help at least on a broad scale for the West to really grasp the contrast in this conflict and why Zelensky may be seen as an easy hero to be on side with because of that contrast with Putin? I think it absolutely is part of how we're seeing him as, as a counterpoint to the man ordering the invasion. The image that's always stuck with me for Putin is not exactly the crazed warmonger that he sometimes appears like the reckless invader, nor the scheming Bond villain, coldly calculating, playing chess in three dimensions. Gary Kasparov likes to joke that he's not playing chess, he's playing poker and he's bluffing. <laughs> and there's something to that. But the image that's stuck with me about Putin is of his pseudo-intellectual bent. He has a PhD. The rumor is that much of it was plagiarized. He is an ex-KGB man, but he's a reader. And what he's interested in and what he sometimes assigns his underlings to read are figures from the pre-Soviet past, people who 
share what he has pursued as kind of a, a melodramatic view of Russian history, almost mystical, where it's not expansionist, but it seeks to reclaim its former glory and not just the glory and power of the Soviet Union, but even farther back than that to the medieval uh, Slavic state of Kievan Rus, which was very powerful around the 10th century and is the foundation of Putin's idea that Ukrainians and Russians are the same people, that they come from the same place, that they come from a shared history and past, which is not just geographical or political, but spiritual. He denies that there is such a thing as Ukrainians separate from Russians. And sometimes that kind of thinking, it fits neatly into what we see as his strategy. Of course, he's trying to reclaim Crimea because it's a very important Black Sea port. And of course, he's pushing against NATO because he thinks it's an illegitimate aggressive force standing against him. But a lot of this is based on just kind of kooky ideas about destiny and fate. And if that's the guy you're fighting against, the image of a man who's not really projecting intellectualism, he's wearing military green, the image of a Zelensky staring back at this misguided kook mm-hmm. and saying, you shall not run roughshod over my people, no matter what your motivation is. It deflates that. And I think it shows some of the emptiness of that vision of Russia's history and future. And I suspect that that's something that Russians themselves are struggling with now. Sometimes it's nice to believe that your nation is great and destined to be great again. And the trick is when the solution is to invade your neighbor. Obviously, Zelensky's rallied the resolve of his people against Russian invaders. I get the sense that so long as it wasn't a pro-Kremlin president in power in Kiev, that there would be a rallying cry to try and slow them down or force them back. But Zelensky seems to have really captured the imaginations of his people and of the global community. There's been talk of assassination attempts being carried out by Chechen kill squads (laughs) and other groups that have so far been foiled. But in the event that they are successful, do people get a sense that this would galvanize the Ukrainian people even more because of the image that Zelensky has already portrayed so far in this conflict? Or on the flip side, and perhaps on an even darker tone, would things collapse in his absence? I think an assassination would be emotionally devastating to people who have been inspired by him. I suspect statues will be erected to him regardless of what happens. But it's hard to say, you know, the other vision of this is cometh the hour, cometh the man, that heroes are made when tyrants invade your country and they arise from the circumstances. That sort of minimizes his own personal contribution to it. It's a man who got on social media and spoke to the Western powers and said, this might be the last time you're seeing me alive. He meant it. Mm -hmm. And they all knew it was true. And as we've seen in many other contexts, martyrdom is also a powerful and lasting force. From Putin's side, so is humiliation. And you wonder what must be going through the mind of someone who would order assassination squads. 
Putin has certainly murdered all kinds of people by gunshots, you know, on his orders, by poisoning them, even in other countries. You get the sense that he expected an easier ride into Ukraine. And it was a fight he wanted to pick, partly because it can strengthen his own position at home, partly because it can push back against NATO, and partly because he thought he could win. That's probably why he's not currently doing the same in Kazakhstan, because he would engage China on the other side. He doesn't want to engage China. He wants to engage the West. For Europeans, um, especially, what I think Zelensky has done is crystallize this question of what is Europe? Can Ukraine have a place in it? Can it welcome new countries that have Soviet pasts? And the reaction of the European Parliament in in Brussels to uh, Zelensky's appearance there uh, makes it damn clear that Europe does see Ukraine as welcome and that there is a future for it there. You get the sense that maybe Putin has picked a losing fight or he's picked a fight that's only going to escalate. For the sake of Ukraine, for the sake of Europe and the world, we hope that it doesn't escalate. We'll be keeping our eyes on that. Joe, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. 103 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Joseph Breen. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.